Hello, and welcome to the Essential Conversations podcast series, a podcast for behavioral health providers in Iowa, Kansas, Missouri, and Nebraska. Each person who enters recovery is as unique as the story that they bring with them. And this month, in honor of Recovery Month, we will be bringing you recovery stories from people in diverse populations. Hear what people in these communities want providers to know. I hope you enjoy. Hi, my name is Darla Bellflower, and I am a person in long-term recovery doing a project for the ATTC, Addiction Technology Transfer Center, and I am interviewing people who belong to marginalized communities for Recovery Month, people who are in recovery themselves. This afternoon, my guest is Jay's. So I know that you're a person in recovery. Can you describe or tell me a little bit about that, what that means for yourself? Yeah. Um, So it's been difficult, but it's rewarding. Since I am in recovery, I have to face all the trauma that I have endured and process it instead of running from it. Um, Even though I've been in recovery for over a year and a half, I still find myself facing temptation all the time. Not in the sense that I find myself in a compromising situation, but when I walk through the grocery store and someone in active use walks past me, I can smell it on them. Certain words um, like pipe tend to activate me as well. Um, A big one I have noticed is back when I worked as a CNA, um, and as anyone who's worked in the medical field will know, um, a breathing treatment, the vapors that come from that really do resemble the vapors from methamphetamines. And so that's something that activates me as well. So it's not necessarily just the presence of a substance. It's everyday things that I run into that remind me of my active use. Along with that, I know that music can also bring a person back to that. Do you find that to be true for you? Certain songs when they come on? Um, I've never had that issue. Um, I think that's just mainly because I've always viewed music as an expressive art form entirely certain songs really don't activate me like that it really is just mainly like everyday things that i see smell hear that cause my brain to jump back to that because i'm right oh that reminds me of the time when i oh i was using at that time yeah well congratulations on your year and a half uh being in recovery that's phenomenal i think that it is amazing honestly when anybody is in recovery and willing to be brave and do something like you're doing now, which is talk about it in a way that hopefully will be helpful to other people. Yeah. I'm actually approaching my two-year mark here on October 15th. So looking forward to that. Very cool. And so what does your recovery look like? Do you attend any 12-step meetings? Are you abstinence based only like what what does your recovery look like for you um so recovery for me is in my own personal sense more of being able to acknowledge that i could not be the person i am today without the person that i used to be it means being able to say that the old me taught me many lessons but that is time to put that version away of me away i don't necessarily hate the person i used to be because that person kept me from facing my problems before I was ready. And in doing so allowed me to learn the lessons I needed to learn in order to fix the parts that were broken. 
Wow. I like that. You know, I often think about myself and my own recovery in a similar way that had I not gone through all the things that I went through, I wouldn't be the person that I am today. And I kind of like the person that I am today where I didn't really like that person that I was when I was active in my addiction. Yeah, I feel that when I when I like first entered recovery, I was I hate that version of me. I can't stand that version of me. That version is dead to me and all that. But as I got further into recovery, I kind of I kind of started to see how it was kind of necessary for me to go through those struggles in order for me to blossom into the best version of myself possible. That is awesome. And I do have to say, uh, you are an amazing person. And I like the best version of you as well. Thank you. What labels do you use or how do you identify in the world? So uh, most people use the term recovery or long-term recovery or person in recovery. Whereas I myself firmly believe that words have power. And so I prefer to use the term recover because that gives me a sense of manifesting the permanence of my recovery. I like that too. Words do matter. And what works for one person may not work for another person. You know, I had a conversation earlier with somebody who actually a couple of people who identified as queer and being an older lesbian, that's not a word that I personally identify with, right? So I think it's important for providers to ask that because I don't think that it's a one size fits all. So with that in mind, though, what are your pronouns? Uh, They, them. Tell me why they, them and not he, him. I had to think. Fair enough. The other ones. Um, so growing up, I, I always knew that I was different and I have never really felt like a man or a woman. I've always really felt like my own entity. And so through my journey of exploring my gender identity, um, at first I thought I was, you know, gender fluid because I would sometimes fluctuate between masculine and feminine. And then there was a little... A little ignorance from my family on that. So I kind of receded in exploring my gender identity. Um, and that also did play a part in repressing that part of me did play a part in my substance abuse. But eventually I just decided that it was time to stop caring how other people viewed me and worry more about how I viewed myself. And so I started researching all of the different identities and I realized that I'm a gender, completely genderless. I'm one of a kind. I'm like no one else. And you know, that just that just feels right. And as I don't feel like a man or a woman, the non-binary pronouns is just kind of what felt right to me. Fit for you. Yeah. I like that. And I like your being able to define that for yourself and why that's important. And I think that's also a very important thing for providers to ask because everybody is unique. Like you say, Uh, do any of your labels that you have, have they affected your recovery in any way or played a role in your recovery? And if so, how? I wouldn't necessarily say that the labels themselves play a role. Actually I would. Um, 
because I will say that once I realized my gender identity, I kind of felt this sense of belonging and it just really helped me like build enough confidence to want to stay. So want to stay in recovery. Mm -hmm. Did you ever go to treatment, the treatment facility? No, I did not. So ever since I was an adolescent, um, up until I was 18, like I first started ADHD meds when I was either 11 or 12, and all of them were of the stimulant variant. The most, the most prolific one I was on was Vyvanse. And so over those years of constantly being on stimulant medication, my body had become more or less dependent on them. Um, mm-hmm. But when I was no longer in high school, my psychiatrist decided to just cut the prescription cold turkey. And so I attribute part of my substance abuse to what I define as a very clear violation of ethics and malpractice on my psych- my former psychiatrist part. So by the time I was ready to enter into recovery, I didn't really have the faith in the medical field to help me with that considering it was the medical field that played a part in it. So eventually I just got to the point where I was sleeping in abandoned buildings, doing really sketchy things for a roof over my head for a night or a meal. And I just decided I don't want this for myself. So I forced myself into detox and cut off everyone who I associated with during that time in my life. Started over. Oh yeah. It was, it was hell. Um, I remember during my detox, the, constant mood shifts and swings. I would snap at the slightest thing. I couldn't sleep. I was always cold and shivering, but not like I would feel cold and shivering, but like I wasn't actually like cold. Like, you know what I mean? Like cold sweats Mm -hmm. kind of thing. But I just didn't have the faith in the system. And I decided it was time I take matters into my own hands and define myself the way I want to be defined. Did stigma play a part in your substance? In a sense, yes. Um, more to be more specific, when I would come down from the high, I would start to feel the anxiety that I was running from. And if I was around a bunch of people at that time, I my thought process was, how do they perceive me? Can they tell I use? Can they can they tell that I'm homeless? It was more of like the fear of the stigma that perpetuated it, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. No, I understand completely. I think that people's perception of people who use substances definitely have a huge role in when and how people come to seek help. So I wanted to ask you a little bit about the term chemsex and what that is and if that was a part of your substance misuse yeah that is something i did regularly engage in first it was just kind of it started as sex just feels better this way mm-hmm. but as my substance abuse worsened and worsened it became a um I have to sleep with this person so I can eat or sleep indoors tonight. And so I continued to use in order to make it easier to do what I needed to do to survive. So it was a way to numb what you were doing, if you will. Is that accurate? 
Um, halfway, yes. It like okay. I said, it it started out as more. It's just more fun. It's recreational, and when it started out, I was still able to perform without use. But as like as it got worse, and I started to view myself worse and worse. Um, I started to hate myself because of how low I had fallen and engaging in such risky behavior when I knew that there were other options out there. Um, but yeah. Yeah. I think that chem sex is something that is a part of the LBGTQ plus community and that a lot of providers, that's something that they're not familiar with at all. So they don't ever ask about it. Being in the substance use disorder fields, that is something that can cause people to return to use. Oh, yeah. Because sexuality and sex is just a part of life. And so I think that that would be an awesome thing for providers to know and ask about. Which brings me to my next question. You know, I decided to do this project with people from marginalized communities because I really want providers to know what it is they can do to be more welcoming and more inclusive because everybody wants to be comfortable when they're asking for help, whether it is help with their substance use disorder or help with their high blood pressure or diabetes, right? Right. And so with that in mind, what do you what do you think that providers would be helpful for them to know about people from your community? So I will I want to answer this as a queer person. Um, as queer, gender nonconforming, it is extremely important to understand how important pronouns and respecting one's gender identity is, especially for individuals who are just starting to try and enter recovery. All it takes is one mishap, one misgender, and it can ignite feelings of, well, I'm not going to be seen for who I am if I get clean, so why should I do it anyway? Right. That is spot on. (laughs) I know for me, early in my recovery, it felt very fragile. I felt very fragile. And I know that having to share certain parts of me with providers was sometimes difficult. And so I think having providers know that is important. Once I decided to do this project, it was a a while later that I decided to look up to see what the theme for recovery month was this year. Mm -hmm. And it is every person, every family, every community. Can you tell me why, how that speaks to you? Every person, every family, every community? Yes. So family and community are important to me because now that I have recovered, I can see that even though I caused a lot of pain and trauma to my family and friends while I was actively using, but now that I'm clear-minded, covered and all that, I can see that they never gave up on me. And especially in terms of community, it's it's being able to talk about things like this and past trauma, admit to fucked up things that we've done in the past, mistakes, all without being judged and having people around that can just look at you and say, I get it. I've been there. I feel you. And it's it's just that kind of 
reassurance that makes one feel less alone, especially in the queer community where we're essentially isolated and some of us are scared to even be queer because of how society is. So that community part is especially vital if we want to maintain recovery. That is a great point that for recovery to work for the majority of people, connectivity is kind of the key, which is community and knowing that there is a community of people who will accept you as you are is, I think, a huge important part of recovery. Oh, it's more than just a huge important part. Um, it's it's also the fact that like it like those who are in recovery, when they when we fall, not I wouldn't necessarily say fall, but when we when we are in a state where we're feeling temptation or cravings or weakness, we don't always want to immediately go to treatment or necessarily a meeting. I personally I have friends and family that I can call them up and say, Hey, I'm not doing well. I'm having cravings. I can't be alone right now. And their immediate response is I'm on my way. And I think, I think I find that for me personally, more effective and reassuring than going to a meeting. I like that, you know, surrounding yourself with people who know you by heart and are willing to be there and show up, even if it is to go to a movie or just to hang out, play cards, have dinner with. Um, I think that that is a vital part to a lot of people's recovery. Yeah. yeah. And I won't say that it doesn't come without its risks because, I mean, if, if that's the path someone is using, that really close friendship as that safety support, should anything happen to that friendship, it, it kind of leaves you stuck in the air floating with, nothing with nothing and i while the reward and the connection in my opinion is worth it it's very important to make sure that that connection with someone that you can trust isn't just going to leave you high and dry and is always going to be there for you because god forbid that they're not there for you anymore and you're in that moment of weakness and you don't have anyone to reach out to yeah I think that for me, that's why it's important to have multiple support people. Oh, yeah. um, I know, especially early in my recovery, there were times where I would literally call three or four people before somebody would answer, you know? So I think spreading that out for me was super helpful. I feel that. I really do. Yeah. So. Is there anything else that you'd like to share with us? I want to remind everyone out there who is either struggling with active use or struggling to maintain recovery. In the event that you do relapse, it's not necessarily a bad thing. I relapsed several times on my journey to get where I am today. And I tend to look at it as a moment where I had to remind myself what I'm fighting for, to remind myself where I was and where I don't want to be to remind myself of the future in life that I want instead of the one I had when governed by substances. It's all about the outlook and how you view it. Yes, a relapse can be detrimental, but it's only as detrimental as you allow it to be. 
Right. And I, I love that you said that because I think that there is a lot of stigma and shame, guilt, remorse associated with return to use. And yet it's something that is a part of a lot of people's story. And I heard the most amazing thing today. Somebody was talking about their relapse. And what she said was it was a minor setback for a major comeback. And I'm like, oh, that's beautiful. Um, I love that. I'm have to steal that. Hopefully it's not copywritten. Yeah, I don't think it is, but it, it was amazing. So I wanted to share that with you. I want to thank you for your time and for being a part of this project and for sharing a little piece of you with us today. Absolutely. And make sure you let me know when the video goes live because I'm definitely going to go through and watch it. All right. I will. Will you take care and um, I will talk to you soon. Awesome. I appreciate it, Darla. You take care. This podcast series is brought to you by the Mid-America Addiction Technology Center funded by SAMHSA, the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration. Although funded by SAMHSA, this podcast does not necessarily reflect the views of SAMHSA.